Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 1045 a.m. and 5 p.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to grab them and open them up to the book of Isaiah. Find chapter 9 in that great Old Testament letter. And uh, we're going to be back in Isaiah 9 last week. Uh, We kind of started a two-week little series on this famous passage in the Bible, Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, It's often read, often looked at, and preached on this time of year for Christmas. And this morning, we're going to just focus on two verses in Isaiah chapter 9. They're probably familiar to you, even if uh, you haven't uh, been with us last week. Verses 6 and 7. And what I hope we can do this morning, and as we just kind of take a few minutes to focus our hearts and draw our attention to God's Word, is I want us to consider four names that we find in verse 6. Four names that were spoken of this future Messiah over 700 years before this child was born. And my hope this morning, what I've been praying for as I've been preparing to share with you this morning is this, that I hope that we would see the importance of each of these words But then I would hope that we could also see how these words actually relate to us today. And so we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. If you're ready, say ready. Ready. This is the word of the Lord. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Do you believe that's true? It is. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray in these next few moments as we turn our attention to your holy word, that God, that it would encourage us as we've gathered to celebrate the greatest gift ever given to us. And God, would your Holy Spirit encourage those who possess faith in Jesus and for those maybe who are here for the first time or who are, who are inquisitive of who you are, and what you've done for them, that your spirit and this word would speak to their hearts as well. God, I pray this in your son's beautiful name. Amen. I have three kids of my own, and I, I can't help but just to look up on the stage and to see them and just to be reminded of just the joys of Christmas every year. And it's really cool as a parent or a grandparent to be able to live out Christmas through the eyes of a child because everything's exciting when they're young. The lights, the decorations. My little daughter, she's like taking over decorating our house. She wants full control. and She wants it to be this just amazing Christmas decorated house. And uh, I just was thinking about this this week as we're looking at this passage, and it it gives us four distinct names of this Messiah who is going to come. And I was reminded of the difficulty it is for parents to come up with names for their children. Uh, This is not an easy process, partly because this name is going to be with them forever. It's like one of the choices you make right from the get-go. And and I don't know about you, but there's lots of names, and there's lots of reasons why we uh, pick names. And in many cultures... Uh, Outside of the U.S. and even here in the U.S., many cultures, the significance comes with the meaning of the name. 
I don't know if you saw it this week earlier uh, in the Oregonian, uh, but they released that, uh, they kind of gave, over the last decade, what were the most popular names in America? This was produced by the Social Security Administration, and, and the number one boy's name of the decade of 2010 was Noah. Noah. Second place was Liam, and that's actually the first name, most popular name in Oregon over the last decade was Liam. Noah means rest or to comfort. Liam means protector. For girls, the number one name over the last decade was Emma. I know we have several Emmas up on the stage this morning. Emma means strength. The second name uh, for girls is Sophia, which means wise. There's lots of ways we pick names. It could be tradition. Uh, It could be a name that's in your family. I'm named after my great-grandfather. It could be the circumstances that surrounded the birth of that child or, or the circumstances that, you know, you've been praying for years and then God gives you this child. And so the circumstances could cause you to name, give that child a name that's commemorative of the circumstances. It could be the characteristics of the child. Some parents wait till the child is born and then they look at it and give it an appropriate name. Sometimes uh, the names have to do with a purpose or a plan that the parent is hoping or wishing for when it comes to a child. Maybe right now you're reflecting on the process that you went through. But here's the problem with picking a name. No matter how awesome the name is, no matter how great the story is that you could share with someone, how you arrived at that name, if the name has a significant meaning, there is no guarantee that that child will live up to their name. That's our hope, right? Our hope is that they live up to the name. But we can't control that. No matter how well we parent, no matter how much we invest in them, no matter how much we divest of ourselves and give to them, we can't control that as a parent. Unless the parent is God. When God gives a name, it comes to pass. It always comes to pass. In Isaiah 14, 24, it says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I plan, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand. In Proverbs 19, 21, it says, Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Scripture tells us that when God says something, it's going to happen. Or if God gives the name, we see throughout the Scriptures, God giving names to people. If they are predictive, if they, if they go with a purpose or a circumstance, what God has said is going to happen will always happen. I just want to step aside from Isaiah for just a moment and think about the context of why we are so excited for Christmas. If you start back in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, we see this beautiful creation that God has created and he says it's good and he, and he creates man and woman. He places them in the Garden of Eden and he says, enjoy Enjoy everything I've given you. Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion over everything I've created. And there's this great relationship. But then man disobeys God and chooses to not take God at his word. And sin enters the world and brokenness shatters everything that God had made as peaceful. Now the devil was involved, but man made the choice. And in Genesis chapter 3, God starts to lay out the consequences for that sinful choice. And he doesn't, even, he doesn't just give us the consequences that are directed towards man and woman now that sin has entered the world, but he also speaks to the devil. And in Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
God here is predicting to Satan, you now are going to have this, this enmity, this hatred between man and you. Everything that you do, there's going to be this hatred. And there's going to come someone from man that's going to put an end to you, is going to conquer you, is going to crush your head. You're going to inflict some pain on them, but they will have the ultimate victory. Just a couple chapters before our text this morning in Isaiah chapter 7, the Lord points out through Isaiah, points to what this deliverer would be. It says in Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. He's gonna make it clear so you know who is the one who he predicted all the way in Genesis that's gonna come and conquer, take care of this one who has tempted man into sin. And, and he says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. We know that Emmanuel, that name for the Messiah means God with us. It's gonna be God who comes into his creation who's going to put an end to this brokenness and this sin. And so now in Isaiah chapter nine, the prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing down the very words of God, gives us four more names for this child, this Messiah, this conqueror, this savior, who wasn't gonna be born for over 700 years, but he gives us more descriptions of who this person would be. And so I just want us to answer the question, what makes these four names so special? The first thing I want us to see is this, is that these names predict this child's qualification to be king. We're heading into an election year. We're gonna be getting in the mail our voter's pamphlet, our voter's guide. I don't know if you take time to read through all of that. It's pretty heavy reading, it's pretty dense. But in this, uh, the, the county and, and, and the state and even the federal government will send out voters guide to inform you of the qualifications for all those running for office, all those candidates. And it will line out their education, their experience, their plans for what they would want to do if you were to elect them into office. And you're hoping that you're going to pick the most qualified person, the person that's going to do the job the best, the person that's going to come through on the promises they make. Isaiah is telling us that this child would be the most qualified person ever to rule on the face of the earth. The first name is Wonderful Counselor. This means that this child is going to give counsel that's beyond human experience and intellect. The experience uh, that, that man might provide saying, well, here's what I think we should do because of what has happened to me. No, this counselor is going to have a supernatural wisdom, a wisdom that's not based on what he's experienced physically, but because he is an infinite, omniscient, all-knowing God. He's going to be able to give counsel that's not limited by human intellect and experience. The German theologian Franz Delitzsch said this, there's no need for him to surround himself with counselors, but without receiving counsel at all, he counsels those who are without counsel. He is a wonder of a counselor. This child is also gonna be a mighty God. His greatness is unmatched. The word in Hebrew here is El Gabor. It was a name attached to the name of God, to the name Yahweh. And it means mighty, means a champion, a hero. This term applies to the fact that God will ultimately have victory over evil and sin. This is the one that's going to come who can actually defeat the greatest opponent mankind has ever faced, the devil. 
Uh, I haven't seen the movie, so I'm not going to give any spoiler alerts. But right now, I mean, the big, you know, Star Wars came out, and, and I know a lot of you have seen it, so please don't come up afterwards and ruin it for me. But in all these movies, for just decades now, for years and years and years, every movie has, there's another villain that keeps popping up. This one might be the one that's going to knock out the good guys. This is kind of the, 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 the script to every movie out there that has to do with heroes or superheroes. Just when you think that you've conquered the bad guys, there's still some bad guy out there that you haven't found yet that's going to come and when the Bible here talks about this child being a mighty God, there is no enemy that's going to come up after he has done what he has come to do and it's going to be a threat to him. He is going to end evil. He's going to end the problem of sin once and for all. That's a mighty God. He calls him an everlasting father, which means his provision will have no end. The literal translation of this word is a father eternally. He is going to have a love for his people, those within his kingdom and his provision in a father-like way. This provision will have no end. And he's going to be the prince of peace, which means his rule, when he comes into authority, will restore harmony. This speaks to his ability to establish order, but also to maintain it justly. Man, our world could use that. The prince of peace. And so Isaiah is saying, there's one coming who, who God predicted back in Genesis. There's one coming still over 700 years from now who's gonna be like anyone who's ever ruled before, more qualified than anyone who's come before him. And as a king, he deserves our worship. And so every year, at Christmas, we no longer get together to celebrate the excitement of family. No, no, no. To a believer, to Christians, we worship our King who has come in the flesh. Tim Keller, in his book, Hidden Christmas, writes If Jesus Christ is really mighty God and everlasting Father, you can't just like him. In the Bible, the people who actually saw and heard Jesus never reacted indifferently or even mildly. Once they realized he, what he was claiming about himself, either they were scared of him, they were furious with him, or they knelt down before him and worshiped him. I've got a question for you this morning. Which one of those descriptions fits you? This Christmas, are you afraid of God? Do you feel you're unworthy in his sight? Are you angry with God? Or do you worship him? But it's also important that we see that these names are not just impersonal titles because again, they're written so many years ago and they're, they're talking about this, this God and this king and he can list out the qualities, but we could just read the qualities and go, okay, yeah, that's, these are about Messiah. And we can know them intellectually, but they could be impersonal. I mean, we haven't related with them on a personal level. But what I want us to see this morning is that these names are not just impersonal titles, but that they describe the role this king will have in the life of his people. It says here that for to us a child is born, and for to us a son is given. This means that this solution, this conquering king, didn't come up from mankind, no. It started outside of the natural 
And God entered his creation and it was given to us as a gift. A gift to all who would believe. So what does it mean that he's a wonderful counselor today for you and I? Well, that means his counsel is not only supernatural, it's uniquely specific to speak to our human condition. This is one of the most incredible things about our Savior, is that not only is he a wonderful counselor, that he has this amazing divine counsel that he imparts to us through his word, that he imparted through Christ when he was on earth in the flesh, but that he can actually speak to us in a way that he knows exactly what we're going through. Oftentimes when we are in need of counsel, people can come alongside of us and say, I'm praying for you. Here's what I think you should do. Here's what you might want to consider. And if that person, even if they're well-meaning, if they haven't gone what you've gone through, it kind of stops at a certain point. It's like, thank you, but you really don't understand. That's not our Savior. See, not only does he speak as God, infinite, divine, omniscient, all-knowing creator, he actually stepped into our world, and the Bible tells us that he experienced everything that you and I have experienced. There's no temptation that he's unfamiliar with. There's no pain that he hasn't faced. He has been rejected. He was poor. He was born and and just was not received for who he truly was. He understands all those things. He's experienced brokenness. He's experienced betrayal. And yet he can truly relate to us. And so the counsel he offers you today for those who have a relationship with him is specific to whatever you're going through. He can give you the best counsel you would ever receive if you would turn to him. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16 says, for we do not have a high priest, this is speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and to find grace and find help in the time of our greatest need. But it also says that he's a mighty God. How is he a mighty God to me today? Well, here's the reality. I think all of us can relate that the burdens that come with just living on a human life on this planet are crushing. Uh, The demands, the expectations the ramifications of making wrong decisions, those burdens can be crushing. And trying to address life struggles on our own can seem very hopeless. But there is another way. It's not through your own might, through your own determination. I, I was reminded this week that we're getting close to the new year and the, the resolutions will pop out. This year's gonna be different. But the reality is, is that we can only muster up so much self-determination, but we can't guarantee victory over the things that plague us. But there's one who can help us, a mighty God, a champion, a defender of those who cannot help themselves, who has come into the world, and his strength has been made available to us. Listen to what this, it says in 2 Thessalonians Chapter three, verse three, it says, but the Lord is faithful and will establish you and guard you against the evil one. This is the promise to us. This is how he's my mighty God today. I don't walk through life anymore as Pete Potloff having to figure out my life and make all the right answers and fix all my problems, even the ones that I've created. No, I can turn to God, the mighty God who has the power to deliver me 
has the power to restore me, has the power to give me victory over sin and death. That's good news, folks. That's reason to celebrate. Okay, but how everlasting father, Pete, how is he my everlasting father today? Well, this means we can always go to him for counsel. We can always go to him for comfort. We can always go to him for provision. Jesus said in Luke 11, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, will be, it will be open. This idea that, come, I'm a generous God. It says in John 10 that he came to give life and to give it abundantly. In my office, I got a lot of knickknacks, a lot of little things, little trinkets that wouldn't mean anything to anybody else. And this is one of them. This is a 1987 National League Western Division Giants Championship coffee mug. Yeah. Now, I know that I lost some of you right now because I'm a Giants fan, but for some of you, just listen to the illustration. It's meaningful. This cup right now just holds pens that I use when I study, markers, highlighters. But when I was growing up, this, this cup just sat on my dad's bookshelf in his office. My dad was a, an administrator at the school I attended. And in this cup, there was always change. And so what I knew that if I ever needed a soda, if I needed a snack, I could go to my dad's office, whether he was in there or not, and I could go to this cup and I could find what I needed. My dad didn't carry a lot of cash, but for some reason, this cup was always had a few, enough to got, buy a soda in it. And even if I would take the last two coins, I would show up the next time and there would be more change in it. Now, maybe he was from his side going, where's my change going all the time? <laughs> but here's, here's what this reminded me of this week, is every time I went to my dad's office, every time I needed something, even if it was just for my physical need in the moment, there was always a provision waiting. You know what it means for God to be the everlasting father in your life today? That means whatever you need, you can go to him right now. And he's going to meet that need. It's not always yes. It's not always here. It could be, hey, come here. Let me hold you. I got you. It's wait. Or it's no, I got something better for you. But there's always fatherly comfort. That's everlasting. It will never end. Well, how long will Jesus do that for me? Eternally. He's the everlasting father to those who walk in him. And then he's the Prince of Peace. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect peace. They had peace with God. They had no need to fear. They had no need to hide. There was nothing that they were hoping God wouldn't uncover. There was perfection. And they had peace with each other. Adam and Eve had harmony there was no sin entered into that. So we look at this as this most perfect view of a marriage where man and woman became one and they lived together in a most beautiful way. And they had peace on earth. But when they chose to disobey God, sin entered the world and destroyed this peace. You know, there's another name that I wanted to mention. It's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It sounds awfully familiar. It sounds almost like the verse in Isaiah chapter 7 where it says the virgin's going to bear a son and we're going to call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God's going to come down here and fix this problem. But the name changes. In Matthew one twenty one, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means savior. Think about that name. But it wasn't Mary who was naming Jesus, hoping that he would be a good person who might be able to deliver man from their problems. No, this was God who gave the name to his son, Jesus. This is the one who I promised all the way back in Genesis 3. He is the one who will save you. He is the one who has the ability to restore peace in your life. Through Christ, you can have peace with God. No shame, no guilt. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation, therefore, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Through Jesus, you can have peace with others. This story, this church, this room is full of people whose marriages, whose families, whose working relationships have been restored. Peace has been restored because of what Christ has done in that person. Possibly what he's done in both people. And he's broken, he's brought in together broken marriages, broken homes, broken working environments. He has restored them because he is a peacemaking God. Today, and he can give you peace on the inside. Jesus said in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I know for some of you, Christmas is a really joyous time, but for some of us, Christmas is a a really hard time. Perhaps this is the first Christmas that you are celebrating without a loved one who maybe has passed away in this past year, or possibly you are celebrating now as as a single parent or no longer part of your family. I want you to know this, that this little baby who was predicted would come and be not only the saving king who would, who would reign and who would conquer and who would take care of God, this is the same God who today offers to you peace, who offers to you the ability to, to touch your life, to touch your problems, to step into your mess and to give you hope that God loves you. See, this offer of being the prince of peace in your life today isn't just to those who are acting right. It's an offer of peace to all those who have placed their faith in Jesus, who believe, so that's my God, that's my Savior, I believe. And perhaps today you, you believe, you have a relationship with Christ, but you haven't been following him, or some choices you've made have led to brokenness. I want to remind you, he is the prince of peace. Nothing you've done is greater than the peace he provides. And he wants to give that. He wants to remove all the excuses, and he wants to start with you. And he wants to restore peace between you and him. He wants to restore peace between you and your creator. Do you have that peace this morning? If you do, it's just another reason to kneel and and worship him, to celebrate. But if you don't this morning, today's the day of salvation. The gift that he gave over 2,000 years ago is a gift that he still offers today freely to those who are not in relationship with him. 
Even if you've been to Christmas services the last decade and you've never responded in faith, today that gift is, is shiny, that wrapping paper is, is nice, that gift is not outdated, the batteries still work, it is still ability to step into your life and change your life today. That gift of salvation, that gift of peace, that gift of a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, the prince of peace, that is available to every one of us here. In this room, every one of us is on overflow, in the cafe, in the hallways, every church, in any home. That gift is available today. And my greatest desire is that you would have peace this Christmas. One more thing, last thing. These names provide hope to those who anticipate his second advent. Advent just means coming, so we, we hear that word this time of year. The first advent was what Isaiah was looking forward to, that there was one coming that was going to be the saving king. But we now know that Jesus has gone and he promises to come back, and so we look to that, that second coming. And our confidence is this, because I'm sure that over the 700 plus years from this time that Isaiah made this prophecy to the time that Jesus arrived, there was a potential to go, is he really coming? This is really going to happen. But now for us today, we can be following Christ and we know that because he came the first time, because he stepped in and was that wonderful counselor, that mighty God, that everlasting father, that prince of peace, and because he gave his life on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, and because he rose from the grave three days later and offers us now the gift of salvation to all who believe, because he has done all those things and has proven himself to be who he says he is, we can have confidence, we can have hope that he's coming again. See, Christmas should not only be a reminder that he came in the past, it should point us to the future that he's coming again. He's coming for all who believe. And that invitation is made to all this morning. And so just these simple verses that we hear so often, sometimes familiarity with something causes us not to be amazed by it. My desire this morning is that these few verses have reminded us that a child was going to come who would be our savior and crush the enemy. He did. And there was a child coming who would be the solution that would restore wholeness into a broken world and would pick up the broken pieces of our life and restore peace with God and peace with others in our life. He did. He does. He'll do that today if you will turn to him. But I hope these verses also remind us that this child will be sovereign, meaning he will reign forever. And as believers that is reason to give thanks. Does your heart rejoice in the hope of Christmas? Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that you loved us and even in our sins, sent a way for us to be made whole again. You sent a way for us to, to have peace again. And so God, I just thank you for Christmas. And I thank you for all who have gathered together to celebrate and to worship a wonderful God, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and our Prince of Peace. And God, I pray that you would help us celebrate you, that we would worship you. And God, I pray for those who might be far from you, that they would turn to you and receive this peace for themselves. God, we love you. Thank you for sending the gift of your son. And we pray all this in your son's beautiful name. Amen.